Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lineup for today. Some very interesting things and timely things. Um, you know, there's a new study out about spending in retirement. And amazingly, the study shows that people actually decrease their spending when they get further into retirement. Yeah, that's an interesting article. It really is. Very interesting. So we're going to dig into that and say, find out what that means for retirement planning. And then we have some other good topics. Yeah, I came across um, two competing headlines um, this last week. One of them says the market's going to go up 30%. The other one says there's a big crash in the wings here. Oh, geez. Do we get to <laughs> so, pick? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't get to pick, Steve, but um, we're going to dive into both articles. And it's it's not unusual. I mean, we usually see one that's positive and one that's negative. Um, so we'll we'll kind of talk about each one and, and why you shouldn't make decisions based on headlines. That's a great example of, you know, two totally conflicting opinions. And uh, so that'll be very interesting digging into that. So I like that. Well, yeah, um, by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 20 years' experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly podcast. We're up every week, uh, usually on Friday afternoons. Um, Pull it right off of our website. Yeah, you can go to our website, moneymd.net, and we have a link on the right-hand corner that takes you to the uh, podcast site and uh, categorize it by investment topic, and you can go back and listen to past shows. Yeah, um, no excuse for not listening to the Money Doctors every week. And check us out on our website. Our email is directly. You can email us at info at moneymd.net, or um, you can always give us a call here at the office. So, um, John, I think, you know, a lot of stuff going on in the world, isn't it? Yeah, Masters just wrapped up. Just wrapped up. Sergio, unbelievable finish. Fun, fun, fun. It was just, and it's Uh, great to see a guy that's been there so many times, tried so hard in his career to win a major, finally get it done after 72 stars. It was funny. I DVR'd it, so I watched um, the ending of it, and he was so excited. You know, he has a fiance, and he was walking off the green, and he started like, slapping the back of her on like her shoulders and everything like really hard and she turned around and was kind of like what are you doing he was so excited i mean his passion was just off the charts he was i mean you could just tell he really appreciated the moment of winning the greatest golf tournament in the world the masters right here in augusta and you know after having tried so many majors i mean he's he's been there so many times you know, seconds and third mm-hmm, top mm-hmm. tens. He's been, yeah, he's been around. He's an amazing golfer, and I'm, I'm, we're just good to see him finally get it done. Yeah, really yeah, was. very happy for him. You know, we learned something else this week. We learned what it means to be reaccommodated by United <laughs> Airlines. <laughs> reaccommodated, relocated. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forcefully. I mean, what a fiasco for a PR thing. I mean, I just think that's it's just hilarious. I saw the late night thing with Jimmy Kimmel, and you know, there there's so many spoofs on it now. Brass so, knuckles. Uh, yeah, it brings a new meaning to the word reaccommodate. You think uh, if someone is asked to leave, that they'll leave? quickly now or i guess so i mean they just drag you <laughs> off the plane and you know beat you up along the way i guess it hit uh, your head a couple times you Boom. know you have a your paid customer and, and they need mm. to get some employees across Bad the PR. country i don't know wow. for folks out there who didn't see the video it's very interesting to see 
how they treated their customers when they didn't get enough volunteers to to make room for their employees. They need to relocate on this plane. Uh, so a lot of stuff going on in the world. Very interesting stuff. And speaking of which, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the NCAA, and it's about the uh, attendance. North Carolina beat Gonzaga for the um, national title game for basketball. Yeah, that And if you all remember, South Carolina made the Final Four. Unexpected run. That was amazing, It was John. unexpected. It was out in Phoenix, um, the stadium in Arizona, and there were over 76,000 fans that attended that college basketball game, and they just eked out a couple hundred more than actually was at the uh, Alabama-Clemson title game, which Clemson won, we all know, right? Right, right. And, um, so Steve, you're, you're, talking about the, you're still talking about the North Carolina-Gonzaga game, right? And you're not talking about the, yeah. the, the, the South Carolina Final Four. Game. No, that's right. The North okay. Carolina-Gonzaga had 76,000 fans, which was a couple hundred more than the Alabama-Clemson. Not to belittle the, the national title game, but no, if, you think about, that. if you think about the size of the, the court, in the in the uh, in the football field, that's probably what made the difference. Because a little more room in there when all you have is a basketball court. That's not right. The whole football that's field, right. right. So we all know that uh, the the women's national title game for basketball was won by Carolina as well. Just thought I'd throw oh, that that's into interesting. you. How many attendees went to that I game? I have no idea. Not probably se- less than seventy six. Probably not seventy six thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just want to point out that you know five years from now, of the games that were remembered. I think the Clemson game will be far more remembered than, than any of these other games we speak well, of. Well, you know why? Because North Carolina's won a lot of titles before. That's part of it. That's part of it. But it's also the way it was won, you know, with last second touchdown I pass. remember. Pretty amazing. Clemson stuff, fans are reliving John. that Pretty like amazing, on a daily you know? basis. <laughs> yeah, we're still living the dream here. That's right. All right. Good fact of the week, though. I like it. Okay, that leads up to our first topic here, and that is spending in retirement. Um, New study shows it actually decreases in retirement for the average retiree. Very interesting, you know, because the conventional approach to a safe withdrawal rate in retirement, you know, going all the way back to 1994, a study that was done, you know, said that a safe withdrawal rate was like 4% per year of your assets. Um, And that was published in the Journal of Financial Planning. And it assumed that retirees would maintain a stable standard of living throughout retirement, which means that you need a consistent stream of cash flow that increases annually with inflation to maintain your purchasing power. So the logic behind this is pretty, you know, straightforward. I mean, earlier approaches to securing retirement income tended to focus simply on generating that constant stream of cash flow throughout retirement. But with inflation and life expectancies and retirement time horizons increasing over the years, the need for increasing that income throughout retirement became more and more apparent. And exploring the consequences of inflation was the key of the original study that set that withdrawal rate at 4%, but it was all based on the idea that, you know, people spend, you know, constant throughout mm-hmm, retirement. Mm-hmm. They don't decrease their spending. And yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's right. And in decades since uh, the, the study was done on the 4% rule, you know, we've gained further insight into the actual spending behavior of individuals in retirement. And what researchers have found is that both the composition of spending and the, the level as well, they vary throughout retirement with both tending to, to change in some predictive ways. And as it turns out, on average, most retirees actually experience decreasing rates 
of real spending through retirement. So this is interesting. Um, very, very interesting. It's unique. I mean, it's yeah, new. There's yeah. new information we haven't seen before. Yeah, utilizing the consumption data from the Consumer Expenditure Survey, which was done here. One study from the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College found that real retirement spending decreases by about 1% per year through hmm. retirement. Very interesting. A follow-up study from Morningstar found that real spending actually increased slightly in the first few years of retirement, but then it began decreasing more and more throughout the remainder of the first half of retirement. And it bottomed out at about a 2% decrease per year uh, in the middle of retirement before tapering off and ending up with an annual decrease of maybe a half percent per year. It's, so it forms kind of this U-shaped real spending pattern um, that they kind of dubbed the, the retirement spending smile. <laughs> yeah. So your spending kind of goes down and kind of goes back up, but yeah. it's still a decrease mm-hmm. at the end of retirement per year. So um, so what would a safe withdrawal rate look like by utilizing these more realistic decreasing spending assumptions? Well, not surprisingly, the lower cumulative spending in retirement results in an increase in the safe withdrawal rate. And the greater the assumed spending cuts, the larger that initial withdrawal rate can be. Um, so what they found here is that overall the results reveal that spending – uh, reduced spending scenarios uh, result in an increase in the safe withdrawal rate by as much as as three quarters of a percent. Yeah, that's pretty significant. That's pretty significant. It really is. You know, notably, I mean, there's this initial spending increase in retirement of about eight to eighteen percent um, over the first half of of retirement, despite the fact that spending ultimately is cut by as much as thirty to forty percent in the later years of retirement. So in real spending terms, an initial spending increase of 8 to 18%, certainly not trivial, um, particularly in a world where many retirees have the strong preference for spending more on the kind of the go-go years of early retirement. Yeah, right. And, you know, researchers analyzing the retirement spending patterns, they still aren't in agreement with what the typical path of decreased spending is. I mean, additionally, there's still a debate in the financial planning community about whether and, and how the spending patterns for the typical um, you know, investor is, whether they be high net worth or the massive affluent, could be different than the average American. So there's still some debate kind of going on about this, um, this new information. Nonetheless, it appears likely that at least some kind of reduced spending over time assumption is more accurate than the existing baseline of constant real dollar spending. So there's some agreement on it, but um, I guess more research to be done. Yeah, definitely. Fortunately, most financial planning software can accommodate this. Um, you know, they, we have the more robust Monte Carlo models now that are built into most retirement planning software, including ours. Um, but they could easily substitute the inflation-adjusted spending with kind of inflation minus the 1% per year spending or eliminate the positive inflation in their spending and you know altogether, which would... Mm-hmm. you know, kind of sh- demonstrate and illustrate that reality. And it's important to recognize that with the baseline assumption of at least some spending reduction over time in retirement, that new that 4% rule for a safe withdrawal rate now becomes more like a 4.5% safe withdrawal rate. So it's a pretty significant difference. It really is. 
Um, and some may argue that the analysis are based on constant real spending are preferable given that they're inherently or it's more conservative to, to stick to those old rules. Um, after all, if a retiree actually actually does decrease their spending throughout retirement, then when you know they have an extra cushion yeah, you right. know, more, it would be a good thing, right? Um, but while there may be some comfort in building in the precautionary kind of safety margin um, when analyzing a retirement situation, uh, you know, similar to using the conservative life expectancy assumptions, you know, there's still a, such a thing as being too conservative, potentially constraining your lifestyle unnecessarily in retirement. So in addition, it, it's also important to recognize that there are other ways of handling the uncertainty of retirement projections, you know, short of just making arbitrary and potentially unrealistically <clears throat> conservative uh, assumptions in retirement spending. Um, you know, for instance, the process of monitoring retirement planning on an ongoing basis, like we do, John, you know, with clients that we sit down with, um, provides the opportunity to make the mid-course adjustments, um, you know, long before any severe scenarios occur, um, adverse circumstances, if you will. More generally, you know, safety margins can be applied with the assumptions um, beyond just spending, uh, you know, including life expectancy, you know, long-term assets and, you know, return and inflation assumptions. So all of that can be adjusted kind of midstream mm -hmm. to help compensate for those uncertainties. Yeah, you know, depending on your risk tolerance or, or capacity for risk, you may be willing to accept different safety margins for planning purposes. And this is particularly true for retirees who are uh, especially flexible with their retirement spending in the first place, and they be uh, they may be willing and able to make mid-course adjustments if needed. So it really is case specific. It is. It is ultimately the best way to accurately account for your, you know, unique circumstance and situation is to simply create kind of a custom financial plan that accounts for you know your situation in retirement. Um, in fact. You know, even the rule of thumb based on approaches like the safe withdrawal rate have significant room to kind of be manipulated to accommodate your individual situation. Um, nonetheless, I mean, the extent that the safe withdrawal rate approach uh, will be used, it, it's still crucial to consider whether it's appropriate to use these baseline assumptions and to recognize that given this new data on real world spending patterns, the 4% rule you know, probably should be more like four and a half percent, you know, or at least take out the inflation assumption for increasing spending throughout retirement. So this is really good news. I mean, it means that retirees, you know, probably can count on a little more money in retirement um, in the early years, knowing that later on in retirement, um, as we've noted before, I mean, people tend to spend a little bit less mm -hmm. as they slow down. And once they get through those first 10 <clears throat> years of retirement, they're kind of done with all the traveling and all the, all the bucket list things that they wanted to do. And usually there's some health issues that creep into the picture too that tend to make people want to stay home, you know, and not travel as much or spend as much money. So um, these studies now confirm kind of what, we, yeah. kind of what we've been what suspecting we've seen, right. for a long time. So, all right, good topic. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with managing investments. This person um, question was, I've been managing my investments for years. Um, kind of tired of doing it. It's getting more complex. Uh, a little nervous about my future. And um, if something should happen to me, what would who would take care of my, my spouse? 
And um, so the question is, is, should I look at using an advisor? And if so, what should I look for? And it's not unusual. We do see people that come through that have done their own investing in the past. And uh, for numerous reasons, um, sometimes um, they are tired. They don't have time. It has gotten complex um, and they are looking for help. And so what should what should you look for an advisor? Well, I think you, you want to have someone that's on the same side of the table. Um, so someone who has a fiduciary responsibility. Yeah, um, has your best interest at <clears> Has heart. your best interest, that's right. Uh, sometimes that means you don't invest. You do something else with the cash um, that, that benefits your situation. And I think as Dave Ramsey talks about, the heart of a teacher, someone that's going to going to teach you and explain kind of, you know, what they're doing and, and, and how to do, do things. So the heart of a teacher would be another thing, someone that's not just going to sell you products. Right. You know, I think one of the, over my years, 20 plus years of working with clients, I think one of the biggest benefits we bring to clients is the confidence and the discipline to stick <clears throat> with stocks, stick with a good diversified allocation through thick and thin, through the down markets, and it enables clients to kind of have that that um, uh, the confidence to stay in the market. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think where they hurt themselves the most is when somebody's doing it themselves, and markets get choppy like they did last year, and they're down, and people get nervous <clears throat> and pull out or go more conservative in the middle of a down market. And or they don't have the confidence to be in the proper allocation with enough exposure to equities. Um, I think we bring that discipline. And yep. over the years, I think that more than compensates for you know management fees and things that you have to pay for the average person. That's right. So and that leads us right into our next topic, which is you know a lot of people that are on there, you know, doing this by themselves, they'll see a headline. It yep. says the 1987 crash is about to repeat itself, and here's why. And they'll act on that. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And who we, knows? We uh, that. Who knows what's going to happen, you know, today, tomorrow, next week, next month. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, um, there's so much news media out there, and there's a lot of – there's a lot of fake news, and unfortunately, a lot of people that write these articles, they have no clue what they're talking about. They really that, don't. That's right. And it's hard for the average person to have their perspective to look at these two headlines and recognize them for what they are. That's right. And these two headlines, I just read one on the 1987 crash is about to repeat itself. Here's why, and I'll tell you why they're saying that here in a minute. That comes from uh, com. And then on the same day, I found an article from CNBC that says Morgan Stanley says a huge 30% stock surge could be ahead. So like 1999, you can't afford to miss it. Wow, there you go. Does it get any- that, you can't get any more opposite than those two opinions, <laughs> yeah. can you? Plus 30, minus, minus 25. I mean, it's one or the other. It's going to be somewhere in the middle somewhere there, the middle, more than probably. likely. More probably. than likely. So, yeah, so don't don't make decisions based on headlines. This, this one about the 1987 crash – um, you know, it refers back to one day back in 1987 in October. Uh, there was a massive single day 20% fall in, in the stock market. And, right. I remember it well. Yeah, that's right. And one of the things they're saying is that, um, you know, what happens is, is people are, are actually buying into um, the volatility staying low, which has been quite popular. And so the risk is that if we have a big correction that actually strikes, so maybe it's a 10% down, these investors will have to abandon their positions, which will exacerbate the decline just as it did in 1987. So, you know, they're saying, hey, there's some similar conditions between now and 1987. And, uh, you know, they're, they're grasping at straws. It's an interesting headline. Right. Yeah, it is. It really grabs your attention. <clears throat> and it's a little scary if you don't have the perspective of kind of what we what we 
offer an ad and so forth. Exactly. And then on the same day, the article from uh, CNBC, um, again, Morgan Stanley says a huge 30% uh, stock surge is ahead. Um, so Morgan Stanley, they have a new chief U.S. equity strategist in town, and he's uber bullish on stocks in 2017. Yeah, it's interesting. They say the cyclical upturn that began a year ago has less to do with President Trump, more to do with about the global business cycle, um, with Trump simply turbocharging things. And, uh, yeah, this guy Michael Wilson at Morgan Stanley, he wrote in a Monday to his clients that the end of the cycle is often the best, and he thinks 1999 to 2000 or 2006 the 2007, you know, we're going to see that kind of cycle again here in a low return world. You know, investors can't afford to miss this. Mm-hmm. So interesting how they would take those that such a bullish approach being a financial firm with clients out there that they would say, you know, go all in. It's going to happen. Yeah. So Wilson laid out a case <clears throat> um, for a, a bull market even more from than where we're at right now. And he calls for the S&P 500 to reach 3,000 points within uh, 12 months, and that would be a 30% gain. And his base case is about a 15% gain with the index hitting 2,700. So, you know, we're around the, the 2,300, 2,400 mark right now. Um, so, and we're not a proponent of what he's saying here. No, no one knows. I mean, the market. That, that's the point. No one knows. The, the market yeah. could absolutely go down tomorrow and stay down for a period of time. But, you know, exceptionally loose financial conditions, he says, encourage the shift towards investor uh, euphoria. Market technicals, they're in really good shape now. He said 2016 was a difficult investment year for many. Um, but the reality is that one, once, uh, you know, if you follow the, the business cycle and you ignore the political one, it can be fairly straightforward. It's interesting he said 2016 was a difficult investment year. I thought it was a pre- turned out to be a pretty good year. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it did start off difficult. It did. You know, it, it started did. off down 15% through and, February the 10th or so. But, you know, then it recovered just like history shows. Yeah. It recovered in about few, three months, and then it went on to, to post a really good return, you yeah. know, of about 12% for the S&P. It, so I don't, I don't know what he's And it was. To. So January was down, then we had Brexit in June, and right. then you had the election. And so, you know, if you stayed invested and, and did some rebalancing, it turned out to be a really, really good year. So That's the point. I'm not I mean, sure. Yeah, even if we have one of these downturns that, you know, this other article is referring to here, you know, over time, markets tend to do well. Yes. They tend to recover, yeah. don't they? They have. And, uh, but, you know, but yeah, and this, his first major strategy note, this guy Wilson, um, who took over the chief strategist role from uh, Adam Parker earlier this year, and he, he's assuming, before assuming this role, he served as Morgan Stanley's chief investment officer a wealth management. He's a 27-year veteran of the bank. So, you know, how should investors act on his sentiment? Well, you know, based on the late cycle thesis, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley's saying they've overweighted financials, industrials, uh, energy, technology stocks. Um, that's what they say. And, you know, they didn't offer any specific stock picks, but you know, they've actually made some moves based on mm-hmm. his crystal ball and I think that's the point here. It really is just a crystal ball. I mean, nobody really knows. But we do know from history 
stocks tend to do better than bonds and fixed income. They do. Right. They do. And, and uh, so, you know, who knows what the market's going to do? I guess the reason in talking about this, Steve, is there's headlines like this every single day. We see one on that says good things about China and another one says bad things about China. So what, what we believe in and what we see has worked historically and we, we feel like it's going to work going forward is being diversified, have a retirement plan, um, you know, looking into retirement income needs, um, uh, you know, do some rebalancing and leave it invested. I mean, you hurt yourself if you put, if you jump off the, uh, the, the roller coaster sometimes. Yeah. And I think what both these articles are implying, John, and I think gets to the heart of the issue for me is they both imply that you need to do some kind of timing <clears throat> of the market. That's right. They do. Right. I mean, they're both, you know, the one's bearish and says, Oh gee, you got to get out. It was what they're implying. And this one's very bullish and saying, well, now it's time to go all in. Let's go aggressive. And what we've said consistently as, you know, investment advisors and as money doctors here on the show is, you know, you don't need to do either of those two things, okay? You need to create an allocation that's appropriate for your risk level. You need to be really well diversified, and you need to be prepared for either one of these outcomes because mm-hmm. we don't know what the market's going to do. Nobody does. Right. And history has shown that. Academic research has proven that no, no, none of these people – are right. That's right. The they're, majority of the time. They're wrong more than they're right. They're more wrong more <laughs> than they're right, right? So what you really need to do is you need to be diversified and you need to be prepared for the the correction that might come or the the great market that <clears> may come. But you need to be in it for the long term. You need to ride out either eventuality. And there are some academic ways to get a higher return, you know, by diversification, by weighting your portfolio toward the dimensions of higher return, like small stocks and value stocks and gross profitability stocks. So there are some academic ways to improve your return, but you don't want to gamble and take big bets on some prediction about the future. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think that's the conclusion here. But, you know, very interesting articles. But, uh, yeah, don't, Polar opposite. don't invest based on the headlines. So, good topic. Okay, and that leads up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, see, we don't talk about it very much, but we do have a uh, Twitter um, account. It's MoneyMD. So, if you're not yep. following us, you can follow us. We also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD. And so, we always um, take uh, a video of the prescription of the week, and we have a special guest this week, and it happens to be your daughter, Abby, right. is uh, has done the prescription of the week, and right. and so I challenge you if you're listening to the podcast, go go look at it. Send us an email if you um, if you go out to our Facebook and see that. But Abby kind of gives a really good prescription, and it's um, instead of going out to to Starbucks and buying a five dollar coffee every day, go buy a Keurig machine. It's it may be about a yeah. hundred bucks. Yeah, who doesn't love a Keurig? That's right, but I that's going to it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it does, it does. And now you can buy those, you know, those those pods that go in there. Um, I don't know what they call them, cartridges, pods, yeah, whatever. You can right. buy them a lot cheaper now. I mean, yes. you can buy them in bulk from Sam's and places like that. And, uh, you know, it makes great coffee. And think of all the money you save. Yeah, so for five bucks at Starbucks, you can get 20 coffees out of this and you're you're at a break-even point so yeah. uh great prescription of the week again go check out abby she's got a a good uh good bent on this and uh, gives you some good advice yeah she's very entertaining yes so i think you'll <laughs> like it great prescription of the week okay well, that brings us to a close for this week's edition of money md do tune in next week to money md and you can pick us up on our website you can 
hear more prescriptions for your financial health, you can check us out on our website or email us. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard & Associates, a registered investment advisor.